You are now listening to Chomp Chats, conversations to enhance the Gator family experience. We want your students to ask questions. We actually expect them to. It's okay. So when they're not sure of something, one, there's so many opportunities here at UF and so many people that care about them. And two, I bet the question that they're asking, someone else is looking for the answer to. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chump Chats, where we have conversations to enhance the Gator family experience. I'm your host, Shaquille Lowe, and today I'm joined by Erica Aguiar. Salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm fantastic. Hi, everyone. So, Erica, tell me a little bit about you. Let's let our uh, listeners know who you are, what do you do, what do you do for fun? We want to get to know you before we just go into our content for the day. Yeah. All right. So I'm Erica. I work here at UF as the assistant director of the Matchin Florida Opportunity Scholars Program. So I support our first generation community here at UF. I'm a proud UF alum. Go Gators. Go Gators. And first gen alum. So really proud to do the work that I do now. And I am a big movie fan. Listen, I just saw The Invisible Man. Fantastic. Just going to encourage everyone to do that. That's a little bit about me. You know, it's funny because people always ask me, like, have you watched this movie or have you heard about this movie? And I'm not a movie person, but you know what I am? A podcaster. So yes, how about are. we get started? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Perfect. So, Erica, you mentioned that you are um, you work with first gen students. Um, I'm first gen. But what does that mean? Can you can we talk about that? Like, Absolutely. So here at UF, we define first gen as neither parent has earned a bachelor's degree. And for those students, you know, you and myself included, it really is about understanding the university experience. So if you didn't have a family member go to college, understanding some of the processes, even understanding the application cycle can be really challenging. And then you get to campus and people sort of sometimes assume that you have it all figured out. And you don't because, you know, for me, I had great mentors and great friends who were really helpful. But I couldn't call home and ask my mom, hey, what is a bursar? Because that just wasn't her experience. So it is. it can be really challenging. But it also lends itself to some really positive things. And, and I, you know, I know for you and I especially, it made us work so much harder because we had to. And I wouldn't change it for the world because I'm so proud that I was the first person to do this. And every time I look at that degree, oof, I'm like, I did something really, really Doesn't huge. it just feel so good? It does. Yes. Oh. You know, I was talking to one of my friends who's also a first gen and he mentioned, so I've never been out of the country, so this is not my analogy, but he said that when he first went to college, he kind of felt like he was in a new country and speaking a different language. Yes. Because there's so much that you have to learn. There's so much, so many things that you have to get accustomed to at the university level. And sometimes you can't just call home and ask. One thing I've heard that analogy too. I think it's such a good one. And it's not to say that first-gen students can't catch up. It just feels like sometimes maybe some other students already have the translation guide. And that's what my office does. And that's what, you know, people like you and I who have kind of dedicated our work to helping these students is just helping you get that guide. So it's not that you can't do it. It's just that you don't always have the right tools. But once we get you the tools, you're going to be fantastic. So let's talk about your office. So what do you do? Like, what all students do you work with? Tell me more about it. Yeah, so there's two parts to my office. So I'll talk about the Match and Scholars Program. It's a scholarship for students who are first gen I and mean, who come from historically low income backgrounds. But largely our office supports all first gen students. So any of our first gen families out there, if you're hearing this, remember my name, Erica. If your student has a concern, we're the place to come to. And that can be about anything. So we help students with academic advising concerns, financial aid, or just the general UF experience. Now, I'm not going to you know, be their financial aid counselor. I'm not going to be able to release money to them or lift that hold. 
but I can get them the answers that they need. And rather than have them running across campus, we serve as that kind of single point of contact, that one person you can come to when you have those concerns. And we just try to help students, you know, not just as first years, but really through their whole time at UF, make meaning out of the college experience and graduate and do whatever they want to do. Yeah, and be successful. Be successful. Yeah, that's super helpful. I bet there are lots of students who just walk through your office every now and then, sometimes probably with very complex questions, but like probably just for like a question that's only going to take 30 seconds. Yep, everything in between. And I love it because every day is going to be different. And I'm glad that I can lend my UF experience to other students to help them get through it, you know? Yeah, because you... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you graduated from University of Florida with your bachelor's degree, correct? Yes, got my bachelor's degree here. And it was a really tough time. I have my bachelor's degree in telecommunications, something that I still think I'm translating for my family. Um, my abuela only speaks Spanish. And mm-hmm. so at this point, I've just like made up some careers because she's like, Telecom que? Like she just can't get it. So um, it, it is really cool to literally be working on the campus that gave me so much. I know I tell my folks all the time, they say, well, what do you do? I say, well, I'm kind of like the principal of a high school. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I want to be one day, but I want to do it at the college level. And that's sometimes that's all I can say. And they're like, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Then they think that I make more high level decisions than I actually <laughs> do. Um, but can we talk about it? So being a first gen student, does that present itself with any like any other differences, challenges? I know you mentioned that, you know, students will sometimes they don't know information or, or you know, firsthand or they necessarily can't call home. What are some other things that, you know, highlight the first generation experience? I think there can be a lot of do I belong? We call that imposter syndrome. Just this feeling that am I really supposed to be here? You know, it can be challenging to look at fellow students who their entire families went here and they've got these photos from when they were a kid going to Gator games. And for you, this is just a different experience. So I think that can lend itself to, am I really supposed to be here? Spoiler alert, you belong here. You're supposed to be here. So I will tell you that right now. And it can be, again, like that translation analogy. Sometimes it is hard to come in and try to figure out these different pieces that it feels like everyone else has. So we definitely see a lot of that and a lot of pressure. So when you are the first person to get this degree, there is this kind of feeling of, I'm the first one to do this. There's no path. You're doing that. But that's also really positive, right? To be that trailblazer, to be that person who you're making these decisions. And I remember, you know, for me and for a lot of first-gen students, That degree wasn't just for me. It was for my mom, it was for my dad, it was for my grandparents who had given up so much for me to be able to be here and to get that diploma. So it really means a lot more. We also see that our first-gen students have a lot of resiliency and tenacity. For many of them, that first C in a class is not, it doesn't take them as hard because they've had other stuff that's happened in their lives that they're like, okay, I can bounce back from this. I've done more challenging things and they really don't let that define them. And I think that's a really cool thing, especially at UF because we widely celebrate first gen. For my students to say, yeah, there's been some really challenging parts, but I'm also really proud to be doing this. And my favorite thing is when siblings come and you've got the senior that's about to graduate and then their brother or sister is a freshman and they are just like helping them and that it just continues kind of this family legacy that I think is really cool for first-gen students. That's super powerful. I I think about my own experience and a lot of what you said is so true. Um, But you mentioned something. I want to dig deep into that. You said figuring things out. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a common theme. It's like, well, 
our first generation students make it to the university and then we want them to figure it out. And, you know, here at UF, we have awesome professionals like you that can certainly help students with that. But if you don't mind, I'd like to spend some time defining a few terms that will help parents and family members mm -hmm. figure this thing out also. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know, because I think it's one thing that, you know, maybe your family or, you know, your parents did not come to the university or did not go to a university, but I'm trying to figure out how can we help them? So what tools can we prepare them with that's going to help them understand only a few things that are going on? So when their students call home with these questions, we can kind of help them out with a few of those. Sounds great. Well, if it sounds great to you, then it sounds great to me. Let's get started. So what is the ultimate goal being here at the university? I mean, do students just come and like spend time, spend four years here, they graduate with this general education diploma? Like, tell me about it. What is it? Like, what does this look like? Yeah. So your student graduated high school, yay, and they got a diploma. And now kind of the next step is this bachelor's degree. And bachelor's is really just the, those four years. Some of your students might have come in with an associate's degree. They did all those dual enrollment credits. That's great. This is going to be kind of that next level. And their bachelor's degree is going to be whatever they choose to study. So if you've heard the term major, that's really their field. What are they dedicating four years to? And that can be anything from engineering to the arts. So when we say, you know, bachelor's degree, that is really that kind of degree plan that's going to help them kind of get through to be able to eventually find a job in that field or in a related field or maybe in something completely different. And I think you have experience doing something completely different, yes, right? Yes, I do. Telecom degree. I loved what I studied. I was in the College of Journalism. It was so interesting. I just knew that my calling was to, to help students and to give back. And I kind of do some of that with telecom in the sense of sharing stories and listening to people. I just am doing it in a very different way. And you have a kind of similar story to that, too. Yes, I will say, well, for you, telecommunications, hey, you're on the podcast today. So there you go. I love Always it. Always making degree. that connection. <laughs> but I think and in families, you'll hear us talk about this a lot. It's a recurring theme that many of the people who, you know, are employed by the university or spend time around university or, you know, just people all across the world. They've changed their majors. Mm -hmm. I always share my experience that I came to my undergrad and I wanted to be a software engineer. So I did everything that would prepare me for that. Luckily, after an internship opportunity, I decided that I did not want to do that. However, I kept my same major, but here I am in education. And so that's going to be the reality for lots of our students. So it's really great to hear other professionals like yourself share that. Oh, yeah. Studies show that students will change their major on average two to three times. So it's okay. I believe that. We hear a lot about majors. A couple of times I've heard about minors. Can you walk us through what that means and how students select a minor? Are minors required? I mean, I have so many questions about it. Just tell us what a minor is. So a minor is, it's really a mini major in some ways. <laughs> it is 15 to you know 21 credits, give or take, that a student, it's almost a specialization, honestly. So it'll be on their diploma. And, you know, my minor was education. So I got this degree. That's where I spent most of my time. But I also have a little bit of a specialization in education. That just tells employers or graduate schools or whoever, hey, I also spent a concerted effort in this area. So it's just another way for a student to diversify their degree. And they are a really cool way to study something that you like, but maybe don't want to, you know, spend your whole degree on. So I was talking to someone the other day and we were actually talking about minors and she was she's an academic advisor and she shared with me that a lot of students, they will have a course of study for their major, you know, say that's going to be engineering or say that's going to be um, sociology, whatever the case may be. But then 
they'll choose a minor because they know that these are the things that they're passionate about, but they not necessarily want to do that for a profession later on. And, and again, it is a good way to make your degree a little more valuable. I've seen many students who are pre-med and, and will get that biology minor to just say, hey, I've also got a specialization in something different. Or I got a minor in dance because I loved it. Yeah. Whatever it is, because if you can take classes that really interest you, not only is that just good for you, it's also going to boost your GPA because if you're really interested in it, you're going to do really well. Yeah, you'll spend a lot of time on those yeah. subjects. Mm -hmm. um, so say I have a major and say my major is actuarial science. You know, I just threw that one out there, by the way. Um, are there only certain minors that I'll be able to select? Are we restrictive because of our majors? How does that work? Or can students just change and switch minors, you know, however they'd like? You can do anything that your heart desires. So it doesn't really matter. So if you are that actuarial, did I say that right? Actuary science? Yeah. <laughs> if you are that major, whatever minor you want, it doesn't have to be in your same college or in your same department. It really is going to be whatever you are interested in. You're not bound by anything. And one thing you want to keep in mind is that when you add this minor, you want to be strategic and meet with an academic advisor and make sure that it is still putting you on track to graduate. You can't just focus only on your minor classes and then not do anything for your major. But that's why we have academic advisors. So yeah, the sky's the limit on that one. Well, that's super helpful to know that students have that flexibility if they need it. And because I know that, you know, as my interests change, your interests change, that's just not a thing of the past. Probably more so now than ever, students' interests are changing every day. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned colleges. Talk to me about that because, I mean, I know this gets confusing for people because we're the University of Florida. Sometimes we'll say, you know, send your student to college. And what does that mean? What is the difference between university and college? Can you walk me through that? I can. Your student's degree will say the University of Florida. That is, they are all part of this general community. Because UF is so big, we've actually specialized in some areas. So your student's major will be in a college. And those are kind of themed based on content area. So the College of Journalism and Communications, for example, houses our communications degrees, while the College of Engineering houses our engineering degrees. So what it does is it just makes UF feel a little smaller. So rather than being advised by someone who is working with the entire UF population, all 50,000 students, your student could be in that college that has five or six majors rather than 150. But again, their degree will still be from UF. And that's a really cool way for them when we talk about minors, right? You can be in the College of Engineering, but have a minor in College of the Arts. So you're getting a different experience in that way. Wow. So we've talked about three very important pieces to this academic experience. If someone is actually new to this material, I can see how it would be overwhelming, certainly thinking about our students. Who on campus can they reach out to for this, for help with this? I mean, you got to think about figuring out a major, you know, a minor, then talking about different colleges. We mentioned that students have the flexibility to reach out, you know, and, you know, maybe have a major minor in different colleges. Someone has to help them with this. Who does that? So your student is going to have access to what's called an academic advisor. And this is their guide. This is the person that is really going to help them understand all these pieces. We don't expect them to have this memorized. It's almost impossible. So let's say your student is in College of Liberal Arts. They're going to have a specific advisor, whereas someone in the College of Public Health is going to have a separate one. And these 
Advisors are the content experts. So they know, okay, you are a history major. That means that in your first semester, we're going to keep you on track by taking this, this, and this class. And they're going to help your student throughout their four years. So that not only can they explore maybe a second major or that minor or an elective class, but that they can make sure that your student is graduating. Because it is, it is really hard. I, I try to do it myself sometimes. And to know what each class means and what it counts for in your degree, oof, that's hard. And it so, changes, right? And it can change, yeah. I remember, and this is you know my own fault, which is why I'm such an advocate for academic advising. I had an outside concentration, a minor, and I had taken two classes that I didn't need because I didn't read the audit, you know, the kind of guide for your student's degree correctly. And so my advisor was like, oh, you took a class you didn't need. You took two classes you didn't <laughs> need, which, I mean, love the learning opportunity, but it would have been nice to not take as many classes. Absolutely. So that person's going to really help them out. So now, can family members reach out to a student's academic advisor? So our family members certainly can because they have resources. You know, if you're thinking about, okay, how do I best support my student? However, when it comes to the actual academic advising, your student is the owner of this degree. We're going to really encourage them and kind of empower them to do this on their own. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones taking classes. So yes, family members, we love you to be part of it. The colleges have great contacts and great resources for you. But for the actual advising part, we're going to leave that to the students. Now, walk me through this, too, because I know when students come to preview, um, which many people know is our orientation, they have a preview advisor. And so sometimes they'll select their majors at preview. Then they get another advisor. Do you know, is that the only time that students have to worry about their advisor changing? Generally speaking, because I know that there are probably some differences amongst the different colleges. How does it work? Such a good question. So the preview advisor is really built to be what's called a generalist. So they can help so many kinds of students and so many majors on some pretty, you know, level one things. Once your student gets to campus, they're going to be meeting with that academic advisor in their college, in their major. And you're right. It can change depending on the college, depending on the year. But for most students, if they're staying in that major, they're going to stay with the same group of advisors. That could change a little bit based on if they are doing a minor or some colleges that third and fourth year, you might have an upper division advisor who's just going to help you with some of the more specific classes and also help you think about internships or job opportunities. So it can change a little bit, but for the most part, they're going to communicate that with you. So your student will not be left figuring out, oh gosh, who am I going to? And I would imagine that most of the time students find that out through their email, right? Yes. Oh gosh, if I can give you any advice. Tell your students to check their emails. Everything's going to go there. And I understand that. I mean, even our office, we send lots of communications to our students. And I think that's one of the you know most important things that I think all family members should tell their students is that from now on, you know, from acceptance until graduation and even beyond that, please, please, please continue to check your email. We send a plethora of resources to students. I mean, and a lot of these things that we send them really has the potential to impact their academic progress or their, you know, their GPA. Yes. Things like notifications from professors about assignments or classroom changes, financial aid. It's all going to come there. So please have your student check that email. As someone who instructs a class, I need them to look at that daily. And honestly, you, you can't check it too much. So if your students are checking it two, three, four, maybe five times a day, um, at the very least, we'll just make sure that they're not missing out on important information. Well, I just said something that I would like to define. I mean, we've talked about GPAs, grade point averages. 
it's a little different here at the University of Florida than what the students may be accustomed to mm -hmm. in high school. Can you walk me through the differences? So there is a big difference. Here at UF, the GPA is different. It can't go higher than a four. So many of your students probably took AP, dual enrollment, IB, all the things, and that could push them to a 4.75. Here at UF, 4.0 is the top. So that's really, I think, a big difference for many students to get their head around. And now is it, say you make an A in one class, you make a B in another class, is that just automatically 3.5? Like, how is the calculation of the grade point average? So, Generally, I know that, yeah. you know, there are lots of things that we can get into with the GPA, but just overall, what are the, the common things? I think what it comes down to is how many credits the class is worth. So a typical class is three credits, meets three times a week. That's kind of their standard course. An A in that class will be more heavily weighted than an A in a one credit lab. And it doesn't mean uh, that they should not focus on the one credit class, but the more time they spend in the class, the higher it's going to weight. And I think that correlates with what we've been sharing with everyone in that, you know, if your class is three hours, you know, if, it's, if it says that it's a three hour course, that means you should probably spend about, you know, I would say 12 to 15 hours outside of the class studying for that class versus if it's a one hour course, maybe you can get by with, uh, you know, four hours or five hours in the week. Yes, absolutely. It's it's not just, you know, especially at UF, it's not just about what's happening in class, but it's really all those, the extra hours you put in, the the time you spent studying and reviewing the material. And yeah, for a three-credit class, you're going to put in more work. You'd want that to, to be valued a little more. So when students select their schedule, you know, well, they'll, they'll, they'll first meet with their academic advisor, then they select the schedule, and then the semester starts. Is that the end all be all? Do students have any flexibility? I'm, I'm wondering because, you know, say you, how do students figure out, okay, maybe this schedule won't work for me. Is there any time of the semester that they can make changes? My favorite thing here at UF is drop ad week. And this is the first five days of the semester typically. And it's just for students to shop around. So yes, they meet with their advisor. They've got the schedule. Let's say they think, okay, I can do an 8.30 a.m. lab. And they go to it and it's just it's too early or, oof, this is cutting it really close getting to my next class. They can shift that around. Or maybe they attend a class that they registered for saying, oh, I just, this sounds interesting. And it sounds like a lot more work for them. They can drop that. And in those five days, it's penalty free. So you're not getting charged for anything. You're not getting, you know, oh, well, you didn't register for this early enough. Like you can just shop around. And I love that because it helps students make the most educated decision. So not only can you make a decision on does this schedule feel good for me, but you actually get to look at your syllabus and figure out, okay, what does the workload look like? Can I handle this? And it, I think, gives students that kind of flexibility to really just shop around and see see what they need. So it's like a return policy almost. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we love a good return yes. policy. <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that about the 830 classes because I know a lot of students will think, oh, you know, in high school, I got up every day early. I was ready to go at, you know, seven o'clock. I was at school by eight and we started classes at 815. Therefore, I can do this all over again. And that is a common misconception, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, it is. Your high school body is different. <laughs> like it, it is just a weird something happens when you get here that 830 feels a lot earlier than you think it would. I think it has a lot to do with the, you know, the late night studying and, and the different yes. things. It's I walk across campus sometimes later in the evening and I see students and the campus community is still so vibrant. I'm like, when do you people sleep? <laughs> and I found that they sleep in the morning at eight o'clock. Yes, so they do. 
Um, but, you know, students are different. And so if they do like or appreciate 830 classes, maybe get the day started a little early. We certainly have that option for them. Yes, we have classes starting at 725 so they can take really as early as they want. You know, I'm from the country, and as they say, different strokes for different folks. So <laughs> I'm glad that the students have, you know, options and different things that fit their schedules. Well, Erica, it's been awesome speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Yeah. So if you had to sum everything up that we've talked about, I mean, I know we have mentioned a lot from first gen to defining these academic terms for our family members. If you had to leave family members with two things, what would you say to them? I think the first thing would be to be really proud of being first gen and encourage that in your students because it is such a an incredible part of their experience. I would never change it. I'm still so proud to say that now I'm a first gen graduate and UF really, really cares about them. So the more they can be proud of that, honestly, the the better. And my second one would be we we want your students to ask questions. We actually expect them to. It's okay. So when they're not sure of something, one, there's so many opportunities here at UF and so many people that care about them. And two, I bet the question that they're asking, someone else is looking for the answer to. So when they raise their hand in class and feel like they're the only one, I bet there's someone else who's going, oh, I'm so glad they asked because I wasn't sure either. And that's a good way for us to be able to help them because we can't always know what's going on. But those questions will help us help them in a way. And I would like to say the same thing to our family members. You know, if you're out and you have a question or something's going on with your student and you need some assistance, don't hesitate to reach us. We would love to connect with you. I always say that our students are successful because of their support systems. And I know that our parents and family members make that support system up for our students and we want to be there to help. So please reach out to the new student and family programs if you have any question about your student's experience. Absolutely. Well, again, Erica, it's been awesome having you on here. Maybe we'll come back and we'll define some more terms. There is so much more that we need to discuss. And I know that you're going to be ready to come back. I am. Thanks, y'all, for listening. We're so happy to help. How can you be reached? So if family members are wanting to contact you or they're wanting to give your information to their student, how can they reach you? So the easiest way, we have a general first-gen inbox that I would love for you to email if students and families can. And that is contact first gen that's f-i-r-s-t-g-e-n at u-f-s-a dot u-f-l dot e-d-u or just google first gen uf and our office will come right up and we would love to hear from our families as well and so they can share their feedback about you know our office this podcast whatever the case may be so as always we can be reached on our website at families.dso.ufl.edu or by emailing us at ihavegator at ufl.edu and as always thank you for listening to chump chats where we help gator families transition to the gator nation